0: This is Paul Schneierman today on the 36th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today, today as my special guest, I have a best-selling sports author, Jane, Jane Levy. I have my production engineer today, Daniel Bellis and James Gerd. We have some great stuff going on at Rainier Avenue Radio. Give me a minute, Jane, and we're going to start your interview, and I'll ask you some questions. We have a great sports department. We have also shows hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Emerson, and, and Pepe Laurent, Mark Bryant. And Mazvita Mazzari. We also have a new show on the Seattle Metro League, hosted by Pat McCarthy. Jane, let me give you a little introduction here, which I customarily do with my guests. Um, Jane is the author of the best-selling new book out about Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, big fella, Babe Ruth, and the world that he created. You should be able to find this book online about any major bookstore. It is listed as a top ten biography biography by Publishers Weekly for the fall of twenty eighteen. Jane also wrote a comic novel, Squeeze Play, in 1990. She wrote a best-selling book about Sandy Koufax and Mickey Mantle. Jane attended uh, Barnard College and Columbia University School of Journalism. Jane's mother of two children. Jane Levy was a staff writer at Washington Post for many years. She worked in the sports department in the style section, covering sports and politics and pop culture. Jane's writings have been profiled in many uh, national publications. Jane, we're going to learn more about your career and your books and on some sports-related subjects today. We're not going to get everything, but we're going to have a little fun here in our 27 interview. And uh, Jane, I know you're doing a lot of interviews right now about your new Babe Ruth book, and I know in your Babe Ruth book, you write about Babe Ruth's three-week barnstorming tour after the 1927 baseball season. Well, Jane, thank you for coming on Sports & Stuff as part of your barnstorming tour.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much for having
0: me. Absolutely, Jane. Well, Jane, I want the listeners to learn a little bit more about you. And this is a a beginning question I frequently ask guests. I think we always learn something new with this question. Tell us how you got the bug to be a sports writer and a sports journalist. Well,
1: um, my dad was a um, very coordinated, short, fat Jew who had great hands at the net and actually, believe it or not, ran cross-country for City College in New York. I couldn't, by the time I could come to consciousness, I couldn't believe him running anywhere, but apparently he was. And he was the water boy for the New York football giants in 1927. But my mother, um, whom he married on Christmas Day in 1941, um, hated everything about sports, and so she banished him from, the parlor whenever um, the New York Football Giants and Albie Regattis came on the radio, <laughs> or conversely, when the Mets were on, or before then the Giants were on. So I was my dad's um, sidekick, and uh, I played catch with him, and I drove uh, around with him Long Island, uh, listening to Sunday broadcasts of uh, the football football, and in summer b- baseball. And while he loathed the Yankees mightily, um, he was willing to condescend to take me to Yankee Stadium because I loved the Yankees and he loved the Giants.
0: So you got your love of sports in part, Jane, from your late father, then.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm, you know, I—I I mean, my older sister liked for dolls, and he didn't have any sons, <laughs> so somebody had to—somebody had to, somebody had to ride along with him. And, Figured it might be me, and I had a, I had a little bit of coordination back in the day, so um, uh, yes. And I, I actually, um, he really was a good athlete, and he was a ping pong champion in the Aleutian Islands during World War II, as wow. a matter of fact. But it, it, when he um, when he was close to his death um, and developed macular degeneration, he got kicked out of his tennis game that he hadn't played in for 40 years, because he really couldn't see the ball anymore, and, you know, it was understandable that they didn't want him getting hit. Um, But what did he do at that point? He took up golf, because at least that ball sat still. And I thought that was incredibly, I don't know, courageous of him.
0: I like the genetic link. Jane, I know you are at the Washington Post from about 1979 to 1988. And it seemed like your plate was pretty full, covering a lot of subjects. Real quickly, Jane, we're going to go more to your books in a minute. What were some real fascinating stories you covered, whether in sports or outside of sports, and you worked the Washington Post?
1: Well, when I got there, I was sort of your basic all-purpose general assignment sports writer. um, And I did a little of everything. Um, My first actual deadline story was about... uh, football game at the University of Virginia and it was a harrowing experience because while I was standing talking to a running back whose name I think was Greg Taylor I could be wrong, Glenn Taylor Greg Taylor, something like that Um, and he's standing in a corner and I'm facing him and he's draped appropriately and there's nothing I can see out of my peripheral vision except the walls Uh, the weight coach who looked and was shaped like a bowling ball, <laughs> came and picked me up by the scruff of the neck and dumped me outside among the drunken alumni who had assembled for homecoming weekend. And that was how I broke in as a, as a deadline beat reporter. And it was it was terrifying. It was absolutely horrifying.
0: Well, it, g- it gave you some perseverance, though, didn't it, Jane?
1: Um. I I gave, I gave me the the realization that I wanted to write in long form, not short form. I I could make deadlines back in the day. Um, made two today, as a matter of fact. But um, I'm I, I like to say with to say the least muted pride that I'm one of the things I'm known for is having written a story about Mugsy Bogues, the yeah. five foot three and a half inch. Uh, point guard for the, uh, Washington, bullets. I wrote a story about him. That was longer than he was tall. <laughs> and, uh, he only get and it was only one quote in the entire thing, which was his answer to every question. And that quote was more so,
0: more so, so
1: somehow, I'm, you know, so five foot three is 120, uh, 130 inches, something like that. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, you know, the story was longer, literally
0: longer than he was taught. Well, I used to watch our former NBA team in Seattle, the Sonics play, and Muggsy Bogues used to watch him when he came to town. This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with the acclaimed sports writer Jane Levy, author of the new book, Babe Ruth, Big Fella, Babe Ruth and the World He Created. Jane, you were a female sports reporter for many years covering sports teams, and you wrote a well known 1990 novel, Squeeze Play, which. Many pundits believe me it was one of the best baseball novels ever. It was about a female reporter who was facing various dilemmas and so forth. Was that novel heavily biographical, Jane, on many levels?
1: Uh, well, I didn't sleep with the catcher, if that's what you're asking.
0: <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going there. <laughs>
1: no, um, yes, it was. Um, it, you know, I, the idea, you know, behind it was was pretty simple. One that the that. that The whole idea of going in a men's locker room, you know, where they're all undressed and you're not, is is inherently funny. People tend to see it as inherently an ethical issue. I see it as a comic issue because there's no way it can't be ridiculous. And it also doesn't have to be an ethical dilemma because, as I used to say to these guys, if my five-year-old son can put on his underpants in three seconds, I figure that you guys who are, you know, the top of the heap in Major League Baseball ought to be able to do just as well. And there's no deadline so bad or so tight that a reporter, you know, good intentions and a, an interview subject with equally good intentions can't pirouette away from each other just long enough to put on a bathrobe, a pair of underpants, or a towel.
0: Your points seem very logical, by the way. Um, Jane, were you ever aware – we're hearing a lot more now about the Me Too movement and sexual harassment issues are more in the forefront now. Our society still has a long way to go on these issues, but we're, we're making some progress. Back in the days, Jane, 70s and 80s, are you aware of any player ever being disciplined by management or leagues for misogynistic or sexist behavior in the locker room? Did you ever ever come up, or were any of these, was it just commonly accepted that they, could, that they could act like jerks to women reporters? Give me your take on that, Jane. Well,
1: there was. Then, um, you know, the, the lawsuit that was filed by um, Time Inc. on behalf of Melissa Ludke, uh, when she was banned from the Yankee locker room, um, was ruled on 40 years ago this fall. Um, and it was decided on the ground that Yankee Stadium was built on public land, and therefore, you know, the protection clause applied. Um, at least I think that was the underlying law. Um, so, you know, a lot of women reporters can tell you of horrible kinds of things that were done to them, but most of them, you know, I, I, I never personally felt... Um, abused in, in that kind of way. I, I, I had one really bad incident, um, which I wrote, wrote about or I told about it in a, in a recent piece in The New Yorker that they did about me. I saw that. at a ball at Yankee Stadium where um, Billy Martin, I mean, you know, there are good, good guys and bad guys everywhere. Oh, sure. And, you know, and I was, if, if you covered a team and you had you know, found a time and a way and enough occasion to, um, that you know them, you know, you could usually work, work these things out. It's like I said, it's not that hard, but going into a locker room full of naked guys you don't know is a lot harder. And I went out to cover the Oakland days when they were winning, I think they went 21 straight or something like that. Um, and eighty one, Billy Martin was the manager. And uh, while I was trying to speak to a bunch of them, um, they kind of surrounded me and started saying, oh, "Come on, have a drink with us, Jane. Just have a drink with it. You know, that's not something you want to be doing on deadline." And so i kept saying, no, oh, no, 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 thank you." And they kept just like, "No, come on, have a drink with us." And it's it, that felt menacing. And so I actually finally just figured to myself, and I was new reporter at this point, if I just take a sip, then they can't, you know, uh, say I didn't, I wasn't willing to right. Game. So I took a sip and the next thing I know was the next morning. And I didn't really realize what happened to me until I went back to the ballpark the next day to interview Billy Martin, um, who presented himself sitting behind his desk in nothing other than a pair of cowboy boots and a, t-shirt, um, meaning that his feet were up on his desk, meaning that if I wanted to ask him a question, which was my job, I either had to talk to him by looking away from him, which was what he was trying to get me to do, or I had to stare right at his, um, personal junk,
0: which wow. I really
1: didn't want to do. Yeah. And the first thing he said to me was, sleep well, Jane. And uh, that's when I knew what had happened. And I was so mortified at myself for what I perceived as a transgression of professionalism that I never told anybody. I figured it would have been a firing offense that if I told my editor, you know, he'd, he'd have uh, thrown me out of my butt.
0: That's quite a story. Wow, that's quite a story. In this era, I, I think Billy Martin and the Yankees, I think he was the Yankees manager at the time, Would, would could face a big loss or something. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and no, Stuff? he
1: was... He was he was not the Yankees manager. He was the Oakland
0: A's manager. A's manager at the time. Okay, he managed a lot of teams. Gotcha. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, best-selling author Jane Levy. Jane, I want to move over, move to, to a couple of your other books before we talk about your Babe Ruth book. And you wrote an acclaimed biography on Sandy Koufax. Came out in two thousand two. Sandy Koufax, Lefty's Legacy. I read it and joined it. And I remember years ago when George W. Bush was president, and he mentioned. When he was asked what books he was reading, he mentioned your book. Jane, whether you're a President W. Bush fan or not, did you think it was pretty cool that a president mentioned your book as one of the books he was reading?
1: Uh, I think that was actually in a story in Newsweek, if I recall, that was about the beginning of the um, Iraq War, where they were planning shock and awe. And that's what he had next to his bed while he was doing shock and awe, and so um, I, I didn't feel very cool about that.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs>
1: oh, no, I didn't. Um, you know, I did get a letter um, of some sort. Um, you know, uh, and he's probably good for for, for promotion. Um, he certainly knows his baseball, um, and then had, had had experience. You know, uh, with the Texas Rangers. Um but uh, no I think that didn't that one didn't
0: feel so great. Gotcha, I got your point in the context of the Iraq war and stuff. It, but I, I I don't know. I I thought it was kinda neat that a president of the United States specifically mentioned your book, but I, I get your point. There's probably other sources of acclaim you got that that I was that meant more to you. Um, Jane, one thing a big part of Sandy Koufax's biography in your book is his Jewish heritage and uh, I'm of Jewish background myself. And he really broke down a lot of stereotypes about Jewish athletes. He remains an almost mythical figure for Jews today, I mean a heroic figure. And Sandy, of course, the 1965 World Series opening game refused to pitch because of the Jewish Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, i got a question for you, Jane. Has Sandy Koufax ever been – an activist anyway or spoken out on issues such as anti-semitism or the Israel issue in the the Jewish community or has he just always been kind of quiet and silent on those issues?
1: Um, He is not one to have um, taken a vocal public position on any political issues that I know of. uh, He has not served in any way as a poster boy for you know, Jewish charities or, you know, like, uh, American Jewish, and, uh, he, did, he didn't want to be that. And that said, um, you know, I remember saying to my um, rabbi, you know, there are people who are telling me he's not a good Jew because he married uh, a non-Jewish woman. And, or because he didn't uh, fast, or he didn't do this, or he didn't do that. And I remember my rabbi saying, not a good Jew, he was the best Jew. Uh, because, funny. But without having to say a word, without saying anything other than it's, you know, the high holidays. He never pitched on the high holidays. It's um, Ash, it's for this a thousand words I and mean, what what better way of declaring yourself can that be um and you know i think i think it was i think it, i don't think you can improve i think anything he would have said further um could not possibly have improved simply on what he did
0: jane those because, are really good know, points
1: said, go ahead i'm sorry
0: go ahead no, it's okay. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, those are really good points that your rabbi said. And, and, and the other thing is not everybody is meant to be an activist either. That's something I think a lot of people from all sorts of different minority groups need to consider in, in general. Jane, real quickly, something else about that Sandy Koufax book. I want to move on to your uh, Mickey Mantle book real briefly and then finish with your Babe Ruth book. Uh, real quickly, why didn't Sandy Koufax agree to be interviewed for your book?
1: He didn't agree to be interviewed for my book.
0: Right. And,
1: and I wrote and I wrote it exactly as it happened. It's in the preface to the book in which I explained that, that he said to me, I would rather this book wasn't written, but if it's going to be written, I'd rather it be done right. And so he said, I will make myself available to answer yes or no questions on matter matters of fact. You can call me and, you know, I'll, I'll tell you whether this thing he heard is true or not true. Okay. But he would not be interviewed on the record. I mean, he never was. He still refers to the book as an unauthorized biography by a very nicely.
0: Okay. Well, at least he said that. So he, he did agree to some yes or no limited kind of questions and answers, though.
1: Yeah, but I never quoted him, and um, and I I thought you know this, there is not a more honorable mensch like person I've ever met in my life than Sidney Kofax, and I knew that if he told me something wasn't true, it wasn't true, and you know you you couldn't make that deal with not, with, with the majority of the human beings on the face of the earth. Sure, but I knew he would tell me the truth. Sure. And so, for example, as a reporter in the pre digital age, if I wanted to know whether he had been legally adopted by his stepfather, Irving Koufax, whose name he took, you know, I would have had to either go spend a month in the Brooklyn Hall of Records trying to search that and maybe finding it and maybe not, or thanks to the arrangement he. Suggested I could call him up and say, "Did Irving Koufax legally adopt you?" And he said, "No." And so, you know, but I took his name, and he is my—he is my father. So, you know, it—it—it it, it was as good a good uh, an arrangement um, as I could have ever hoped for as a reporter, because in turn, he didn't ask for anything. Don't, he never said, you know, I want money, I
0: want this, I want control. Nothing. He just said, I want it Good background. Paul Scheinman of Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with acclaimed writer Jane Levy. Real quickly, Jane, um, you wrote a book about Mickey Mantle. that came out in 2010. You wrote that at one point Mickey Mantle, when you were a reporter, made a pass at you. Did that episode have any role in your decision to write a book about Mickey Mantle?
1: Um. <laughs> no, but it, it had an effect on how I wrote the book that I wrote on the okay, okay. Um. You know, I I, that, I I went to meet him in Atlantic City uh, on assignment for the Washington Post. He had taken a job at the Claridge Casino as a basically, it's, you know, they called them ambassadors or director of sports promotion or or whatever, and um, there was a press availability, and a lot of reporters came, and um, he was deeply uh, mired into the alcoholism that would, you know, cause him to have cirrhosis of the liver 12 years later, um, and, and which would to his death. Um, yeah, they passed out dead drunk in my lap, and because I grew up uh, venerating Nikki, I was at a DI, as they say in New York. Um, you know, finding myself 10,000 pounds of great-day American hero was kind of depressing. But uh, by the end of the weekend that I spent in Atlantic City, uh, during which I had the opportunity to watch him and interview him, I found that I grew to appreciate him more as a. Spot human beings, and as and, and as a Jack
0: Armstrong, as you would like to put it. Gotcha. Kind of grew on you then, Paul Schenbry on sports and stuff with uh, writer Jane Levy. Jane, believe it or not, we have only about five minutes left. I want to finish on with about your Babe Ruth book. Um, you decided to focus on a three-week barnstorming tour that Ruth took. This is part of your focus in the in the biography that Ruth took after a sixteen run home run campaign and after the nineteen twenty seven baseball season. It, I believe the trip would take him around the country from Trenton to Fresno, California. Jane, tell us how you decided to focus heavily in your new Babe Ruth biography on this particular segment of Babe Ruth's life.
1: I wanted to um, be able to capture what it was like to be Babe Ruth to be king of the world um, in the fall of 1927, just after hitting the 60th home run and just after leading the Yankees to a four-game sweep of the Pirates in the World Series, during which he hit the only two home runs. And, um, you know, in, barnstorming was something that a lot of players did. This particular three-week tour was the mother of all barnstorming tours. It was organized by his agent, um, and that's an important element of the story because he was the first sports agent, and that was one of the many ways in which Luke was first to do so many things, including decide to hit the car rather than um, to, you know, uh, choke up and hit the other way. Um, and I wanted people to be able, readers to be able to feel what it was like to be around him at that apex of fame and popularity. And in those small towns where people could get close to him, um, I, uh, you know, I it, there was a lot of stuff in old newspaper clippings and and in photographs that showed how he related to people and particularly kids. And so that I was able to give a glimpse of that that was different than what would have been presented during the baseball season by Yankee beat writers.
0: Well, pundits all over the country, Jane, are writing that your new Babe Ruth biography gives sort of a whole new angle of Babe Ruth's life. There's been a lot of books about Babe Ruth, but, but your book uh, apparently gives a whole new angle to Ruth's life. Jane, mention one or two nuggets that you learned about Babe Ruth that were things that maybe a lot of Babe Ruth junkies did not do not know about Babe Ruth. Mention like one or two nuggets you learned about him in your extensive research. Well, I think um,
1: when I prepared for this on, And I was not convinced I was going to be able to find enough new to justify another biography. So I spent a year reading everything else that had been written. And what should out at me very quickly was that how little there was, almost nothing on his childhood. So I knew from the beginning that if I was going to be able to understand where the big fella came from, I had to be able to find the story of the boy his family called, little George. And I was able to do that through recently digitized family documents and um, uh, through newspaper archives that have come online in the last 10 years. And that means that I was able to tell the real story of his childhood, which was far worse than anybody knew, and which he managed to... to keep quiet, not just for his entire lifetime, but for
0: the next 70 years. Isn't that something? I, I I can't wait to read your book and learn more about his Bruce childhood. Well, Jane, believe it or not, I didn't get into Babe Bruce's book as much as I wanted today, but I think we had a, a good discussion about a lot of your, your books and your career. What does the uh, future hold for for Jane Levy? I'm sorry, say what does the future hold for you, Jane? Any any new books on the horizon? What does what the future hold for you?
1: Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend a year on a beach.
0: <laughs> Literally. No no new books? Yes. Good for you. Not yet.
1: Uh-uh. Not good for, yet. Good this for you. This took eight
0: years. Real quickly, uh, we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, if Babe Ruth was alive at 123 years old, do you think he'd support letting Clemens and Bonds in the Hall of Fame? Hypothetical question for you.
1: I think Bill James would definitely say yes, and Bill James would also say that, that Ruth would have used any advantage she could have found, um, you know, including steroids. Um, but I don't think so. I think he actually believed in a level of playing field, and um, uh, he was a guy who had, a, he had an innate sense of justice. Um, it was very raw, but it was very clear to him what was right and what was wrong. And um, he he talked about how hard it was to hit the first several years in the league when balls were doctored as much as they were, and and were also dead, of course. Um, So um, I'm going to say no, he wouldn't be. And I don't think he would. Go ahead, I'm
0: sorry. Great, Jane, great information, great history. We've got to conclude the interview. But thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff. It's you and I. Stay in touch. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it.
0: Likewise.